to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, head on over to Facebook and find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group, and there you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaimed the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir aflame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 207. We are reading from Volume 3, Book 5, Chapter 22, Paragraphs 240 to 248. Chapter 22 Most Holy Mary offers her only begotten Son for the redemption of the human race to the Eternal Father. In return for the sacrifice, he grants her a clear vision of the divinity. She takes leave of her Son as he departs for the desert. 240 the love of our great Queen and Lady for the Divine Son must always remain the standard by which we must measure as well her actions as all her emotions, either of joy or sorrow during her earthly life. But we cannot measure the greatness of her love itself, nor can the holy angels measure it, except by the love which they see in God by the intuitive vision. All that can ever be expressed by our inadequate words Similes and analogies is but the least portion of what this heavenly furnace of love really contained. For she loved Jesus as the Son of the Eternal Father, equal to Him, in essence and in all the divine attributes and perfections. She loved Him as her own natural Son, Son to her in as far as He was man, formed of her own flesh and blood. She loved Him because as man He was the Saint of Saints, and the meritorious cause of all other holiness. He was the most beautiful among the sons of men. He was the most dutiful son of his mother, her most magnificent benefactor, since it was he that by his sonship had raised her to the highest dignity possible among creatures. He had exalted her among all above all by the treasures of his divinity and by conferring upon her the dominion over all creation, together with favors, blessings, and graces, such as were never to be conferred upon any other being. 241. These motives and foundations of her love were established and, as it were, all comprehended in the wisdom of the Heavenly Lady, together with many others which only her exalted knowledge could appreciate. In her heart there was no hindrance of love, since it was the most innocent and pure. She was not ungrateful because her profoundest humility urged her to a most faithful correspondence. She was not remiss because in her the most abundant grace wrought with all its efficacy. She was not slow or careless and she was filled with most zealous and diligent fervor, not forgetful 
since her most faithful memory was constantly fixed upon the blessings received and upon the reasons and the precepts of deepest love. She moved in the sphere of the divine love itself, since she remained in his visible presence and attended the school of divine love of her son. Copying his works and his doings in his very company, nothing was wanting to this peerless. One among lovers, for entertaining love without imitation of measure or manner. This most beautiful moon, then, being at its fullness and looking into the sun of justice, just as it had risen like a divine aura from height to height and reached the noontime splendor of the most clear light of grace, this moon, Mary, detached from all material creatures and entirely transformed by the light of the sun, having experienced on her part all the effects of his reciprocal love, favors, and gifts in the height of her blessedness, at a time when the loss of all these blessings in her son made it most arduous, heard the voice of the Eternal Father. Calling her as once, he had called upon her prototype, Abraham, and demanding the deposit of all her love and hope, her beloved Isaac. Genesis 22.1 2.42 The most prudent mother was not unaware that the time of her sacrifice was approaching, for her sweetest son had already entered the thirtieth year of his life, and the time and place for satisfying the debt he had assumed was at hand. But in the full possession of the treasure which represented all her happiness, Mary was still considering its loss as far off, not having as yet had its experience. The hour, therefore, drawing near, she was wrapped in a most exalted vision and felt that she was being called and placed in the presence of throne of the most blessed trinity. From it issued a voice of wonderful power, saying to her, Mary, my daughter and spouse, offer to me thy only begotten son in sacrifice. By the living power of these words came to her the light and intelligence of the Almighty's will, and in it the Most Blessed Mother understood the decree of the redemption of man through the passion and death of her Most Holy Son, together with all that from now on would happen in the preaching and public life of the Savior. As this knowledge was renewed and perfected in her, she felt her soul overpowered by sentiments of subjection, humility, love of God and man, compassion, and tenderest sorrow for all that her Son was to suffer. 2.43 but with an undismayed and magnanimous heart, she gave answer to the Most High. Eternal King and omnipotent God of infinite wisdom and goodness, all that has being outside of thee exists solely for thy mercy and greatness, and thou art undiminished, Lord of all. How then dost thou command me, an insignificant wormlet of the earth, to sacrifice and deliver over to thy will the Son whom thy condescension has given me? He is thine, eternal Father, since from all eternity before the morning star thou hast engendered him. Psalm 109.3 And thou begettest him, and shall beget him through all the eternities. And if I have clothed him in the form of a servant, Philippians 2.7, in my womb and from my own blood, and if I have nourished his humanity at my breast and ministered to it as a mother, this most holy humanity is also thy property." And so am I, since I have received from thee all that I am and that I could give. What then can I offer to thee that is not more than mine? I confess, Most High King, that thy magnificence and beneficence are so liberal in heaping upon thy creatures thy infinite treasures, that in order to bind thyself to them, thou wishest to receive from them as a free gift, even thy own only begotten Son, him whom thou begettest, from thy own substance, and from the light of thy divinity. 
With him came to me all blessings together, and from his hands I received immense gifts and graces. Wisdom 7.11 He is the virtue of my virtue, the substance of my spirit, the life of my soul, and soul of my life, the sustenance of all my joy of living. It would be a sweet sacrifice indeed to yield him up to thee, who alone knowest his value, but to yield him for the satisfaction of thy justice into the hands of his cruel enemies, and the cost of his life more precious than all the works of creation. This indeed, most high Lord, is a great sacrifice, which thou askest of his mother. However, let not my will but thine be done. Let the freedom of the human race be thus bought. Let thy justice and equity be satisfied. Let thy infinite love become manifest. Let thy name be known and magnified before all creatures. I deliver him over into thy hands before all creatures. I deliver over into thy hands my beloved Isaac, that he may be truly sacrificed. I offer my son the fruit of my womb in order that, according to the unchangeable decree of thy will, he may pay the debt contracted not by his fault, but by the children of Adam, and in order that in his death he may fulfill all that the holy prophets, inspired by thee, have written and foretold. 2.44 The sacrifice, with all that pertained to it, was the greatest and the most acceptable that ever had been made to the Eternal Father, since the creation of the world or ever will be made to the end outside of that made by his own Son, the Redeemer and hers was most intimately connected with and like to that which he offered. If the greatest charity consists in offering one's life for the beloved, without a doubt, most holy Mary far surpassed the highest degree of love toward men, as she loved her son much more than her own life. For in order to preserve the life of her son, she would have given the lives of all men. If she had possessed them, yes, and countless more, among men there is no measure— by which to estimate the love of the heavenly lady. And it can be estimated only by the love of the eternal father for his son. As Christ says to Nicodemus, John fifteen thirteen, So God loved the world that he gave his only son, in order that none of those who believe in him might perish. So this might also be said in its degree of the love of the mother of mercy. And in the same way, we do owe to her proportionately our salvation. For she also loved us so much that she gave her only son for our salvation. And if she had not given it in this manner, when it was asked of her by the Eternal Father on this occasion, the salvation of men could not have been executed by this same decree, since this decree was to be fulfilled on condition that the mother's will should coincide with that of the Eternal Father. Such is the obligation which the children of Adam owed to Most Holy Mary. 2.45 Having accepted the offering of the great lady, it was fitting that the blessed Trinity should reward and immediately pay her by some favor, which would comfort her in her sorrow and manifest more clearly the will of the Eternal Father and the reasons for his command. Therefore, the heavenly lady, still wrapped in the same vision and raised to a more exalted ecstasy in which she was prepared and enlightened in the manner elsewhere described, 1. 6.23, the divinity manifests itself to her by an intuitive and direct vision. In this vision, by the clear light of the essence of God, she comprehended the inclination of the infinite good to communicate his fathomless treasures to the rational creatures by means of the works of the incarnate word, and she saw the glory that would result from these wonders to the name of the Most High. Filled with jubilation of her soul at the prospect of all these sacramental mysteries, the Heavenly Mother renewed the offering of her divine Son to the Father, 
and God comforted her with the life-giving bread of heavenly understanding, in order that she might, with invincible fortitude, assist the incarnate word in the work of redemption as his co-adjutrix and helper, according to the disposition of infinite wisdom, and according as it really happened afterwards in the rest of her life. 246. Then Most Holy Mary issued forth from this exalted rapture, in the description of which I will not further detain myself, for it was accompanied by the same circumstances as the other intuitive visions already mentioned. But by its effects and the strength imparted through it, she was now prepared to separate from her divine Son, who had already resolved to enter upon his fast in the desert in view of receiving his baptism. He therefore called his mother, and speaking to her with the tokens of sweetest love and compassion, he said, My mother, my existence as man, I derive entirely from thy substance and flesh, of which I have taken the form of a servant in thy virginal womb. Thou also hast nursed me at thy breast, and taken care of me by thy labors and sweat. For this reason I account me more than thy own, and as thy son, than any other ever acknowledged, or more than any ever will acknowledge himself as the son of his mother. Give me thy permission and consent toward accomplishing the will of my eternal father. Already the time has arrived in which I must leave thy sweet intercourse and company, and begin the work of the redemption of man. The time of rest has come to an end, and the hour of suffering for the rescue of the sons of Adam has arrived. But I wish to perform this work of my father with thy assistance, and thou art to be my companion and helper in preparing for my passion and death on the cross. Although I must leave thee alone, my blessing shall remain with thee in my loving and powerful protection. I shall afterwards return to claim thy assistance and company in my labors, for I am to undergo them in the form of man which thou hast given me. 247. With these words, while both mother and son were overflowing with abundant tears, the Lord placed his arms around the neck of the most tender mother, yet both, maintaining a majestic composure such as befitted these masters in the art of suffering, the heavenly lady fell at the feet of her divine son and with ineffable sorrow and reverence answered, My Lord and eternal God, thou art indeed my son, and in thee is fulfilled all the force of love which I have received of thee. My inmost soul is laid open to the eyes of thy divine wisdom. My life I would account but little, if I could thereby save thy own, or if I could die for thee many times. But the will of the Eternal Father and thy own must be fulfilled, and I offer my own will as the sacrifice for this fulfillment. Receive it, my son, and as master of all my being, let it be an acceptable offering, and let thy divine protection never be wanting to me. It would be a much greater torment for me not to be allowed to accompany thee in the labors and in thy cross. May I merit this favor, my son, and I ask it of thee as thy true mother in return for the human form which thou hast received of me. The most loving mother also besought him to take some food from the house, or that he allow it to be sent to where he was to go. But the Savior would not consent to anything of the sort, at the same time enlightening his mother of what was befitting for the occasion." They went together to the door of their poor house, where she again fell at his feet to ask his blessing and kiss his feet. The divine master gave her his benediction and then began his journey to the Jordan, issuing forth as the good shepherd to seek his lost sheep and bring them back on his shoulders to the way of eternal life, from which they had been decoyed by deceit. 2.48 When our Redeemer sought St. John in order to be baptized, he had already entered his thirtieth year, although not much of it had yet passed. 
For he betook himself directly to the banks of the Jordan, where St. John was baptizing. And he received baptism at his hands about thirty days after he had finished the twenty-ninth year of his life, on the same day as is set aside for its celebration by the whole church. I cannot worthily describe the sorrow of my most holy Mary at this departure, nor the compassion of the Savior for her. All words and description are far too inadequate to manifest what passed in the heart of the son and mother. As this was to be part of the meritorious sufferings, it was not befitting that the natural effects of their mutual loves should be diminished. God permitted these effects to work in them to their full extent, and as far as was compatible with the holiness of both mother and son. Our divine teacher found no relief in hastening his steps toward the goal of our redemption, to which he was drawn by the force of his immense charity. Nor was the thought of what he intended a lessening of the sense of loss which she sustained at his departure. For all this only made more certain and more conspicuous the torments which he was to undergo. O my dearest love, why does not our ingratitude and hardness of heart allow us to meet thee with a responsive love? Why does not the perfect uselessness of man and still more his ingratitude influence thee to desist? Without us, O eternal goodness and life, thou wilt be just as happy without us as with us, just as infinite in perfections, holiness, and glory. We can add nothing to that which thou hast in thyself, since thou art entirely independent of creatures. Why then, O my love, dost thou so anxiously seek us out and care for us? Why dost thou, at the cost of thy passion and cross, purchase our happiness? Without doubt, because thy incomprehensible love and goodness esteems it as thy own, and we alone insist in treating our own happiness as alien to thee and to ourselves. This concludes our reading today for day number 207. We've read from Volume 3, Book 5, Chapter 22, Paragraphs 240 to 248. In our reading today, Jesus is preparing to leave the home for, again, an extended period of time, it seems. He is going to go into the desert before he undergoes baptism, but yet at the very end of our reading today, we heard about his baptism when it took place. I'm assuming we're going to get a more full account of the baptism of the Lord, and that was just kind of anticipating that probably in a few chapters. In the title for the chapter, it said that he departs for the desert, and in my mind I was thinking, well, you know, that doesn't follow the timeline, like he goes into the desert after he's baptized. But what happens is that Jesus, knowing how special of a moment the baptism at of John the Baptist is going to be, he wants to spend time in prayer. He wants to prepare because he is going to be baptized by the one who is unworthy to baptize him, the one who is not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal, the one who is doing a baptism of repentance, which is an anticipation of Jesus' words, repent and believe in the gospel. He's preparing for the mission that he is about to begin. And as Jesus goes off into the desert, as he tells his mother that the time has come for the hour of suffering for the rescue of the son of Adam has arrived, he has to leave the home. And St. Ignatius of Loyola, and maybe we'll see this here in a few chapters down the road, but 
When Jesus leaves his home for the public ministry, St. Ignatius says, think about the goodbye of Jesus and Mary and what that was like. And even though we don't get that here, we can think about that as he's leaving to go into the desert and then to experience baptism. What are those parting words between mother and son? What does Mary think of during those times in which she's away from her son. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading from the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.